Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Well, we know what gives us wings, don't we? That's what we're told in the advert. Red Bull gives us wings. Well, uh, I was uh, reading this week, you might not know, but Red Bull have been sued in the United States for false advertising. (laughs) Could only happen in the States, couldn't it? And uh, actually litigation, the litigation was over the slogan, Red Bull gives you wings, but it was more about uh, the caffeine levels uh, within a can of Red Bull. And uh, they settled... Uh, out of court, and they've agreed to pay costs in the States if you bought a can of Red Bull between 2002 and 2014. You need no proof of purchase, but it looks like uh, people who claim will get somewhere around £9 per person. It's incredible, isn't it? Incredible. I mean, we know Red Bull doesn't really give us wings, don't we? Please, please say you don't know Red Bull gives you wings. You see, the danger of taking an an advertising slogan at face value is just so obvious. So if you're sitting on the balcony uh, this morning and you, yeah, Tony's, Tony's on the balcony, and if Tony were to stand up and look over the edge of the balcony, he might look and he might think, Oh, wow, I wonder what would happen if I jump down. He's actually standing, he looks like my... Now, if he was wearing a pair of Nike trainers and he looked down and he remembered the Nike look, just do it, (laughs) it'd be madness. Absolute madness, wouldn't it? You're not going to follow an advertising because it's only relevant to specific circumstances. And similarly, we need to, when we read Proverbs and we read one proverb, the danger is we can take it too literally. So when you uh, read uh, the first two verses of chapter 23, it says this, when you sit Uh, to dine with a ruler, note well what is put before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Now, if you uh, have a problem with your weight and you go around to someone's house and you hold a knife to your throat, uh, you're not going to get invited back. There's a proverb in Proverbs 16, verse 31, it says, Grey hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Well, I can say I have grey hair coming. Well, that's a, clearly it's a sign of a righteous life. Well, we have also two other elders who have no hair. <laughs> you heard it here first. Each proverb is a snapshot. And so it's really important that we get the whole picture. So uh, in a court case, you have different eyewitnesses. Uh, They don't all say the same things because they see things slightly differently from a slightly different perspective. And so uh, through the pulling all the threads together through their accounts, we build a full picture of what actually happened. And it's the same way with Proverbs. So you can't 
just build a whole theology around one proverb. And so this morning, we're going to see what the book of Proverbs has to say about riches and wealth, and we're going to find out that money really isn't everything. And first of all, I want us to see that money matters. In uh, chapter 22, verse 4, the Proverbs say this, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. And as you read through uh, the Proverbs, there are over 45 references to wealth, riches, and money. Whoever said money makes the world go round got it spot on. Money matters. What we do with our money is important. And the Proverbs bring the wisdom of God to light in the world that we live in. Jesus, we're told in the, in the New Testament, was, literally was the wisdom of God personified. And so when we hear him speaking, we hear him speaking literally the words of God. Jesus brought God's wisdom into our world. And it, Jesus uh, said much about money. He talked uh, in, in his uh, parables, about a third of his parables, the, the stories he told were about what people do with their money. It clearly was a big issue to him. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. He was acutely interested in what we do with our money, so much so that he would come and that there was a moment where he actually watches what people are putting in the offering bowl. How uncomfortable would that have been? You see, for Jesus, what we do with our money was a barometer of what's going on in our heart, of our relationship with God. Jesus knew that the love of money is our greatest battleground. And in 21st century Winchester, the problem is really obvious, isn't it? I mean, many of us here this morning have the challenge of handling wealth well. We are among the richest people in this world. We are blessed beyond measure. There are many people here this morning who have faced and gone through huge financial difficulties as well. Not handling money well can have such serious consequences. On a world perspective, uh, there are famines across the world and people are dying because of greed and injustice. Many people end up in court with serious debts. Marriages fail because of money pressures. Millions struggle making ends meet. Maybe this morning you know that you worry yourself sick about money. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills next month? Maybe you feel your job is under threat. What's going to happen to me? How will I survive? Maybe you never seem to have enough and always feel you need a little bit more. Rich is always having a little more than we have. Maybe we've got lots of money and we just don't see it as an issue. Whether you're struggling or succeeding, rich or in need, Jesus brings us a challenge this morning. Phil Moore in his book, Gagging Jesus, 
says this, the bound and gagged Jesus promises you prosperity. He behaves at dinner parties and sympathizes with your concern about house prices, interest rates, and the rising cost of fuel. He's far too polite to mention money, but the real Jesus isn't. He spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. He tells us how we spend our money is the truest gauge of what we really think of his teaching. He tells us the clearest statement of faith is a person's bank statement. Money matters. The second thing I want us to see from the book of Proverbs is that hard work pays dividends. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. As I was thinking about this verse, my mind went back to uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, when I was growing up. And uh, as a lad I played football with, I shared a house with him for a year uh, in university. And I remember uh, he was the sort of character that uh, uh, he just wouldn't give up. And I remember that he failed his maths O-level, and I, I, I think he did it probably about five or six times. But he just wouldn't give up. He knew he needed to get it, so he just wouldn't give up. When I was living uh, in a house, sharing a house with him in university, I remember he was the course he was doing, he had to write lots of essays, and uh, he found it a really hard. And I remember him saying, he would say, he said, Steve, he said, you're really good with words. Will you come and help me write my essay? And I remember sitting down and spending time with him and on, on occasion just helping him rewrite uh, passages uh, of, of his essay. And he'd go, oh, Steve, you're brilliant with words. You're so good. And I, I used to look and I think, how on earth is he going to get by when he comes to exams? But he just kept at it. He wouldn't give up. And he, he got a degree and he, he managed to get on a master's course. And then he, did, he started to fly when he did his master's course and he ended up uh, having a PhD and he became a doctor. And you would never have believed it, but he just wouldn't give up. He just pursued it. He just kept working hard. And this proverb tells us that hard work pays off. You may, find, you may be surprised to realize that hard work is not the idea of uh, a rich businessman to exploit their workers with long hours at uh, low rates of pay. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God puts Adam in the garden to work and to work hard and to enjoy the fruits of his hard work. The Bible reminds us that God wants us to be a people who work hard. Whatever he's called us to do, whether it's in school with exams and coming up, some of you will be in the midst of exams at the moment. Some of you uh, uh, at university about working hard, doing essays, uh, looking forward to a career, working hard over the summer, maybe uh, with a, a summer job. For others, it's working hard, bringing up a family. For others, it's running a home. Maybe it's where you're employed, where you're working. Working hard, getting stuck in here in the church. 
Hard work, God says, brings a blessing. There's a general correlation in the Bible between working hard and creating wealth. The the writer of the Proverbs in chapter uh, 6 tells us that we're not to be like a sluggard, but rather to be like an ant who works hard and reaps the benefit of hard work by collecting food uh, during the, the summer season and storing up for the winter season. Careful stewardship of what God has given us will bear fruit. This is what the Proverbs say. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. What about us? Do we work hard? Are we hard workers? God wants us to be those who are diligent. Wants us to be those who work hard. Diligence and hard work are important. That doesn't mean that we should lose perspective. If, if we're looking and working hard to provide for our family and care for our family, that doesn't mean that uh, we work so hard that we don't spend any time with our family. That's crazy. And the Proverbs say, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. But working hard sensibly pays dividends. The third thing that Proverbs teaches us is this, honor your provider. This is what it says in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honoring God involves giving him the best of what they'd received. How do we do that today? By regularly giving him out of all that he's given us. When I was uh, in the hedge end many years ago, there was a, a girl who'd come and done Alpha, and uh, she'd become a Christian. And Uh, As she started to follow Jesus, there were lots of questions she had. She had lots of questions about all sorts of things. And one of them was about giving. What's this whole thing? The church talked a lot about uh, uh, giving first fruits, giving a tithe, giving the first 10% of your income. She said, what's that all about? I don't understand that. And as she's thinking about it, I don't understand it. She's cleaning her teeth one morning, and uh, she feels God speaks to her, and drops a word into her mind as she's cleaning her teeth. And she thinks, that's what, I've never heard that word before. And the word was Malachi. And uh, so she goes and asks someone in the church, she says, I don't know what this word means. Does it mean anything to you? I, I felt God say to me, Malachi. And this person said, well, it's actually a book of the Bible. There's a few chapters. And as she says, oh, is it really? Oh, God must be wanting to speak to me out of it. And as she starts to read through Malachi, she gets to Malachi chapter 3, and Malachi chapter 3 starts to say things like, will a man rob God? Well, how are we robbing you, God? You are robbing me through tithes and offerings. You're not giving to me out of the best, the first fruits of what I've given to you. And she was absolutely thunderstruck. In that moment, she knew 
She knew that actually, actually this is something that God ordains. God wants us to honor him with our wealth because he has been so kind to us. It's all his anyway. We just give to him, acknowledging everything he's done for us. And so that's why we encourage people in the church to give. We encourage them to give because we want them to know the blessing of God in their lives. It's important we honor God. And when we do that, the incredible thing is that God promises to bless us. Maybe not in the way that we expect, but God's favor is on our lives. That's what the Proverbs tell us. Honor your provider. Do you honor God? Do you honor him out of all that he's given you? I want to make it clear, though, that this this, this proverb that we're just talking about here is not a prosperity gospel because the Proverbs go on to fourthly say, don't bank on money. It says in Proverbs 23 that we read at the beginning, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. If you were around in the 80s and early 90s, where, uh, people were encouraged to take out endowments and uh, Annette and I, uh, when we uh, first bought a house, we took out, we had two endowments for small sums of, uh, small sums of money. We had an, part of our mortgage was, a, was an endowment. And what that meant was we gave the bank a, a sum of money every month. And they said, if you give, do that for the next 25 years, at the end of the period, you will have a big pot of money that will pay off uh, the, uh, the amount of mortgage, and it will give you a load of money on top. What a good deal. I mean, it sounded great. It sounded too good to be true. It was. It was too good. Because, so for years that had happened, but suddenly there is a credit crunch, there's, there's a disaster in the financial markets, and suddenly endowments weren't covering the mortgage, and people have a problem. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. If these last years of austerity have taught us anything, it is that we can't rely on money. And yet thousands of years ago, long before any credit crunch, the, the writer of the Proverbs warned of the dangers of striving after wealth. So it's important that we take personal responsibility to earn money to provide for our families. That's good and that's proper, but there should be restraint. We should show some restraint in pursuing money. You see, riches can become a snare. We've only got to be watching the news recently of even these last weeks of bankers fixing foreign exchange market rates to get more money, to gain more wealth. Cheating, and, and the banks are probably going to have to pay out even more money in fines. You see, the problem is once we stop looking to God, we are in trouble and money can become everything. And deep down, even for us as followers of Jesus, deep down, we can start to believe that it's to do with us and it's not about him and we have somehow earned our wealth. Somehow that it's about how clever we are 
And we take our eyes off God and we start to trust in our own abilities and we stop trusting in Him. You see, the issue is, it's an issue, the issue with money is an issue of the heart. When David Livingstone, the explorer, died uh, in Zambia many years ago, they took his body and they buried his body in Westminster Abbey. But it's said that they... Uh, His heart they buried under a tree where he lived in Zambia amongst the people that he loved. His heart remained amongst the people that he loved. See, the issue is this morning, where is your heart? You might be sitting here this morning and you might be singing the songs that we're singing, but your heart may be captivated by a love for money. Jesus said, no No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is just stuff. The issue is the love of money. Paul says to Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, being rich isn't wrong. The Bible doesn't say poor is good, rich is bad. And religious people would love that. There have been lots of wealthy Christians over the centuries who've used their wealth to great effect and great benefit in the world. But the Bible does warn of the challenges and the responsibilities that come with having wealth. And most of us here this morning fall into that category. What are you doing with what God has given you? You see, the Proverbs give us a clear warning. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Imaginations. How dangerous are our imaginations? Red Bull doesn't give you wings any more than wealth brings you real and lasting security. God should be our lasting security. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. His name is who he is. And so when you read in Exodus about Moses uh, saying, show me your glory, show me who you are. Let me, I I know I can't look at you face to face, but let me see something of, of the outshining of your presence. And God says, yes, and he hides him in a cleft of a rock and he says, you can see the, the back of my glory as I pass by. And as he passes by, what happens? You, uh, Exodus, the writer says that God declares who he is. So as he goes by, he just declares, the Lord is gracious gracious and compassionate. He talks about the name of God, declares who he is. God's name is who he is, his very nature, the essence of his being. That is why God, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, because God is unshakable. He is unchanging. He is always the same. He will always come through for us. He is always faithful. He cannot be anything but faithful. When we are faithless, he is faithful, because he can't deny himself. That's what we're told. 
And so God declares about himself. He says he's the Lord, our provider. That's what he says. He's our Jehovah Jireh. That's That's what it says. God is our provider. He gives us everything that we have. So he should be our security, not our bank balance. Lastly, Proverbs reminds us it's about a future investment. This is what it says in Proverbs 11 verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Don't know if you've followed the news and you've seen all the incident of Hatton Garden, the Hatton Garden robbery. They estimate that out of those security boxes, over 200 million pounds worth of goods, mainly jewels, were stolen. They will never know how much was taken. The guarantees of security were meaningless. Many people were uninsured and lost everything. Proverbs tells us that worldly wealth gives us no security when our days on earth come to an end. The crucial question is where have we stored up our treasure? Jesus says we either store it up on earth or we store it up in heaven. And his his challenge to us is for us to store up treasure in heaven. He encourages us to live with a different attitude, to live with our eyes fixed on the days to come, on the life to come. This life is not all that there is. There comes a moment when we die. We will all die, but we will pass into God's presence forever and ever. That's what the Bible says. This life doesn't just end at death, it carries on. Jesus wants us to be rich towards God. Paul says this. I want you to listen to this. It's going to come up behind me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their wealth, their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We are wealthy people. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. People, let's put our hope in in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to bring life. And his life was the light of men. Jesus brings life, true life, the life that is really life. And if you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus, let me tell you, it is the best thing that you can do because this life that we live here is just passing. It's fading away. It's going to come to an end one day. But Jesus offers us life that is truly life. 
And if you're a believer here, this you're a follower of Jesus. He wants you to live in the life that is truly life. He doesn't want to leave, he doesn't want you to live with your eyes filled with a love of money. He wants you to live for him with all your heart and with all your soul. He wants you to use the good things he's given you to bless others in the world around us. To enjoy life truly, yes, but to be generous and kind and good. To be rich in good deeds. Be generous with what God has given you. Take hold of the life that is really life. The Proverbs give us a really full picture. In Acts chapter 20, it says this, verse 35. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, to be honest, I actually quite like receiving. What about you? Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Terry Virgo says this, it takes God's grace to liberate you from the natural tendency to cling to money and put your own needs first. It's only grace that can do it. We heard uh, that scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 about the grace of God, God's free gift to us, God's free gift of Christ at the cross and all that he has accomplished for us gives us all that we need for life. This is how Paul writes to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that, so that you through his poverty might become rich. True riches are found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The power of the cross is the only thing that can break us free from the love of money. Money is not everything. I read this quote, and I'm going to finish with this. In fact, I read it this morning. It's a guy called William Arnold. He says this, when Christ is yours, all things are yours. When Christ is yours, all things are yours. And that's the truth.